think Tevez going to Juventus, what, what a coup that was for me. I mean, On a head-to-head -head battle, Atletico Madrid can do uh, more damage to Barcelona than the other way around. Either he's really blind or he's fixing the match. I, I can't see it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to get Sir Bob on my side here by saying City will win the Premier League. It, it is an upset. You would expect Man United to go and win there. Over a billion dollars was paid in transfer fees uh, between the clubs in, in Europe. It's football. It's damn football. Like Ferguson said, football. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, well, the celebration was, I can't believe I just scored against Mexico. Uh, at one point, Parma, I think it's only like 224 players under contract. Hey, they're gonna throw me out of here, fellas. You're gonna get me arrested on your show. If you're a serious talent, you're going back and you're playing for Santos. You, you know, you're going back to, to play for, like, in Argentina for River Plate or Boca Juniors, or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Giggs of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matter look stupid. He made Rooney look silly. Now the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr, my co-host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 312 of Low Limit Football on this 17th of January, 2020. I am your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight, Rome is painted blue as Lazio beat Roma 3-0 in the Derby della Capitale. Mesut Ozil finally finds his way out of Arsenal as he is rumored to join Fenerbahce. The Copa Libertadores final is set. Is it an all-Brazilian match, a Super Classico, or a little bit of both? We're going to discuss that. Milan looks to be very active in the winter transfer window, as reports are out this morning that Mario Mandzukic is returning to Italy, and Ficayo Tomori is on his way over from Chelsea. And we're going to have a deep look at La Liga with our very special guest, Spanish sports journalist Emily Wilson, who will be joining us in just a little bit. But first, let me get my co-host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas. How are you, my man? I'm good, Joe. How are you? Good, good. Uh, another week down. Um, seems like uh, 2021 is starting to fly by, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, we're probably going to be focusing on uh, probably another impeachment and obviously our 46th president. Yes, yeah. I don't know why I couldn't get that for some reason. But yes, uh, we, we will have a new president and maybe an ex-official in jail. Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> I'm just knocking on wood here. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a... Um... An interesting week in the United States, to say the least, I think. Uh, hopefully it is a quiet week, um, a smooth week, but uh, definitely not what we saw a couple of weeks ago. So I guess we'll have to pray for that. Um, uh, get my second uh, vaccine of the uh, coronavirus vaccine, by the way, on Tuesday. So we'll see uh, We'll nice. see how that goes. But uh, looking forward to I'm still to waiting that. to get mine, man. I yeah. really want to get it. I'm like literally like all ready to to get like some sort of job so I can I, get it. No, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things it's, you know, and it looks like they're ramping up production. So you might get it sooner than later, uh, to be honest with you. And hopefully that is the case. And, and, you know, like we said, we, you know, we are always looking forward to getting out of this pandemic and hopefully that light is somewhere at the end of the tunnel. Um, but, uh, we'll see, you know, uh, so we have a great show today. We have uh, we have a great guest. We did an interview with Emily Wilson and um, fantastic stuff on La Liga. And like you and I were commenting, we could 
talk for hours on La Liga because it's there's so much going on right now. So definitely looking forward to that. But let's let's kick off the show proper and let's talk about our um, our trivia question, my friend. And I do have a simple one for you, um, if you're ready. So, yep. uh, Mario Mandzukic, I mentioned him in my opening monologue. According to DiMarzio and Fabrizio Romano, he is on his way to AC Milan, uh, coming up after uh, a time that he, he uh, left Juve at the end of the 2019 season for Al Duhail in Qatar. The simple question, how many matches did he play in Qatar, and how many goals did he score while he was away? Pretty simple question. I mean, obviously, I'm looking for two different numbers, but uh, that's the question. How many matches did he play in Qatar, and how many goals did Mario Mandzukic score uh, on his way back to Italy now for the Rossoneri? So, well, I have, okay, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll have to guess, and maybe I get lucky. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we'll give it a shot. I think you're going to be surprised. I really do think you're going to be surprised. So, gotcha. let's um let's get into our opening thoughts, my friend. And tonight we were the news broke just literally a couple days ago. Wayne Rooney uh, quietly retires from world football as he takes over as manager of Derby County. Uh, he was brought back over to Derby County to be kind of a player manager kind of thing. And uh, and now with Philip Koku uh, being um, sent, uh, you know, being sacked in November, uh, they have taken Wayne Rooney and made him permanently their manager. Now, currently in the championship, Derby County sit in the relegation zone. They are in 19th place. I'm sorry, not 19th place, uh, 23rd place. They've lost their last two matches. They did have a good run of a couple matches uh, where they did beat Birmingham, uh, who is middle of the table. And they also did beat uh, Swansea who uh, is currently sitting second behind Norwich in the championship. But the last two matches, losses to Sheffield Wednesday, a team they're battling relegation with, and uh, and losses to Rotherham, another team that they're battling relegation. They're currently sitting 19 points, tied with Sheffield, tied with Rotherham. This is um, a little bit of a bumpy start for Wayne Rooney, but um, you know I think I was a little bit more surprised about his retirement, uh, that that kind of almost went unnoticed. Uh, as he took over as manager of Derby County. What were your thoughts on the the way this whole thing broke? Because to me, it, was, it came out of left field. Yeah, I mean, I think obviously knowing his age, he's 35, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So it almost feels as if though he is starting to feel that way. But then there are a lot of players that you start to think, wow, he still plays. Mm-hmm. And I think Rooney is definitely one up there. Um, yeah, I mean... It kind of feels weird because it's not like the the typical retirement that you see, oh, the farewell message and stuff. Like, no, he's still going to be active. Like, he he only – he was technically already in a retirement-ish type of um, situation because he was the – he was a player manager. Mm -hmm. So he wasn't just coaching the team. He was playing with the team as well. So it it, it feels a a weird one as well. But in terms of him, like, leaving his his boots and and, and stepping out of that, I mean – Wow. I mean, certainly for this player, I think one of the best of his generation. I I think being the record gold scorer for England and Manchester United, I think being someone that was just a a generational talent at such a young age and just adapting, you know, from his first team breakthrough at Everton, his goal at 17 or 16, 17, one of those two, um, and then going to Manchester United, you know, taking the number 10 shirt and just immediately becoming one of the greatest to play at that club. I think he'll always be remembered as, you know, even for me on a personal level, Joe, I mean, he was one of the first players that I remember watching, mm-hmm. you know, because he kind of became that kind of player that that broke out so early and when I started to watch football. So, 
Yeah, I mean, this is definitely... It feels weird to talk about him because it kind of feels as if though this was someone that eventually was going to call it quits or, or maybe even some thought that he already was going to call quits ever since his move to, to DC United. But no, this this is a player that I think was giftedly talented. I think he did have some issues off the pitch, but in terms of what you saw on the pitch as that kind of versatile attacker, you know, someone that could play as a striker, he could play as a midfielder. I think he was someone that was just so effective and, and was really dedicated to what he is. I, I think his, his work rate and stamina is, high, is needed to be praised. I think someone that, you know, had the, the, the whole, was fit the whole piece. I think he was someone that had everything. I think what you saw on the pitch, what you saw off the pitch, he had the personality. And I think when you combine that with the technical skill, the strength, the physicality, the 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 talent that he has i think he will definitely be remembered as one of the best of his generation i think obviously he was unfortunate not to win anything internationally with that generation of talented players for england but what he was able to do at club level and and be one of the greatest players um in the world during his time at his peak i think he'll he'll definitely be remembered as as one of the best um for me, at least in terms of his generation. Sure. Breaks into Everton at 16 years old, um, you know, scoring goals. Five, you know, I guess his first goal five days before his 17th birthday makes the move to Man United. Um, you know, folks over here got to see him play at D.C. United for a little while. He retires 569 appearances, 237 goals in his career for club teams and the national team. Like you said, uh, top goal score, 53 goals in 120 matches for England. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's like you said, he's one of those players where we talk about him and you mentioned he's 35 years old and you're like, wait a minute, he's much older than that. He's been playing for so long. He's been playing for, uh, what is the math? 19 years, I believe is, is, uh, yeah, 19 years. Yeah. yeah basically, you know, and, um, and you, you feel like he's been out there forever. He should be much older, but it's the fact that he broke in so big and so quickly at such a young age that uh, that you just feel like Wayne Rooney's been there forever and uh, and and just continued to play. And he's been on the been on the world spotlight. I mean, he's been playing at Manchester United for so long. Three hundred ninety three appearances there. You you forget that he started at such a young age and and just he's been there forever and ever and ever it's just an amazing story uh you know and and like you said one of you know, in terms of that generation certainly in, in the english generation um you know where he was you know kind of paired up with with david beckham is certainly one of the golden generations of english football if you think about it um with with frank lampard with uh, steven gerrard you know wayne rooney was there as well there were there were such big names there um you would almost say that England, for the talent that they had at that time, was probably a bit of a disappointment, right? Um, you know, on the national team side, but certainly Wayne Rooney on the uh, on the club side was was definitely not that. Um, won pretty much every title you can think of at Manchester United. So this is it was again. It came as a little bit of a shock. He was the player manager up until uh, this week, and then he became strictly the manager. Uh, retirement and uh, sails off into the sunset. So we'll have to see, though, uh, if Wayne Rooney, the manager, can claw Derby County out of that relegation zone right now because that's where they're stuck at the moment. And, you know, the season, the championship season is, is much, much longer given the amount of teams that are in the championship. So it's going to be a battle. We, we You know, you and I talked about COVID just a minute ago. It, the, you know, those things, those issues are still propping up with, with many teams, not only in England, just all around the world, losing players, losing matches because of COVID. So that can always, it can be a difficult time to manage a team, not knowing what players you're going to get. 
it, it's certainly got to be an extra difficult time for Wayne Rooney being this is his first job, if you think about it. So this is going to be a, a massive challenge for him. But if we've seen Wayne Rooney throughout his career, we, we, he's a guy that tends to step up to the challenge. And I think we'll see good things out of him. And it'll be interesting to see if he moves up to not necessarily moves Derby County up into the Premier League. I, I don't think that will happen this year, given where they are. But will Wayne Rooney get a chance somewhere in the Premier League where where somebody gets sacked? Maybe he improves Derby County and then gets a shot up at the at the main stage. We'll have to we'll have to see what happens. But I would think that a guy like Wayne Rooney, you know, kind of like when we talk about with Emily about Frank Lampard, um, will be a guy that will get that opportunity. Uh, even, you know, we see Steven Gerrard right now um, also managing and, and being successful as well. That that golden age. We'll see if this golden age produces some of the great coaches that we may ever see. Uh, it's yet to be determined as they're all still very, very young in terms of their coaching careers. Uh, but Wayne Rooney now has stepped into that club um, as a manager for Derby County and hung up his boots. So let's uh, let's retire that conversation, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Let's retire that conversation and let's get back to La Liga. And we uh, just before recording this, we did have Emily Wilson, uh, Spanish sports journalist, join us to talk about many, many things, whether it be Atleti, Barcelona, Real Madrid, transfer windows, elections. Um, there were so many things to chat about, uh, and we had a great time talking with her. So without further ado, the Emily Wilson interview. Joining us now on Low Limit Football, Spanish sports journalist Emily Wilson. Emily, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you back. Uh, I'd like to just jump right into it and talk about La Liga with Atleti. They're currently sitting four points ahead of city rivals Real Madrid, but with two less matches played, bringing that potential lead to possibly 10 points. Uh, best defensive side in Spain right now. They've only conceded six goals in 16 matches, but the second best in scoring at 31 goals in those 16 matches behind only Barca, who's played 18 matches. What's been the biggest key to their success this season so far? Their their normal defensive prowess that we normally see under someone like Simeone or this offensive spark that we haven't seen from them in quite a while? Uh, well, first of all, yeah, thank you for having me back, guys. Love to be here. Um, I would have to say it's just their consistency. You know, Atleti's defensive side, like you said, it's always been a really strong piece, um, especially like Oblak between the sticks and stuff. But at the same time, they've found kind of what works for them in attack, and then they've been able to keep both of those at the level that they want them to be, which has allowed them to have such a bigger gap in the table. Um, you know, they did. They had a really good transfer window. Obviously, Luis Suarez came in, and he's been a big help for their side. Um, João Felix is also great all the time. And, you know, Marcos Lorente, too. He's been scoring um, a lot of goals for them recently, especially in the last season that we saw in the Champions League. And the flow has just continued across the board for all their players. And, yeah, for me, I would say it would have to be the consistency for the level that they're putting on in both defense and attack. And, you know, Emily, I think it's going to be important now that you talk about those players like a Suarez, like a Joao Felix, like a Marcos Llorente. They just added in a player like uh, Musa Dembele, who has done very well at Lyon and has been some uh, of an, uh, a consistent goal scorer, you would say, at um, in, in France. And, and now going here as kind of, I would say, surplus, you would say, for, for uh, Luis Suarez, for Joao Felix, for, the, for that attack. I think it's going to be so crucial in terms of how they go on through the season. And actually, that goes to my next question, because I know that we see leagues that like to be decided this early. I mean, you know, we always hear the famous story of um, of teams getting a huge point advantage. But as Joe said, you know, if Atleti are going to get these two games in hand and, and pick up those wins, that's six points. And that does give them a 10 point advantage. 
And with teams like Real Madrid, like Barcelona, also being a bit inconsistent and losing points, I guess the big question to ask is, you know, is this La Liga title theirs to lose? Or do you still feel that, no, it's way too early to think on a, on a champion uh, in La Liga? Uh, for me personally, I, w- I would say it's a bit early still. Um, I mean, you never know what even a draw can do in terms of dropping points on the table, right? Like, besides win or lose the three points, even just losing the two um, can change the way the table looks pretty quickly. But um, I do think if they have eventually that 10-point lead, because like you said, they have the two the two games um, still to play compared to the rest of the league, I mean, that might change the tide a little bit. So we'll have to see. A 10-point gap will be very hard for the other teams to chase, but I still think it's a bit early. Exciting to watch, though. Oh, oh, absolutely. And mind you, you know, these uh, athletes still have to play Barcelona. They still have to play Real Madrid. They have Champions League as well. So, you know, that obviously becomes a competition where, you know, they have to manage their their best depth and, and try to be consistent because I think that's important for Atleti that, yeah, they've won La Liga. They've won all these titles domestically under Simeone, but it's the big one that they want. They want the Champions League. You know, that's something that they were so close by. You know, they had it in their in their hands twice and they lost it. Uh, to their bitter rivals, Real Madrid. So it it really will be interesting to see if they continue that form. And, you know, if they do end up winning La Liga, that'd be brilliant because it'd be the first time, since I think, since that uh, last-minute or last-game season in 2014 that they haven't won it. And obviously being dominated by the likes of Real Madrid and Barcelona, you do see a bit of um, differences, you would say, in the, in the league table. So it'll definitely be interesting to see. Now, moving forward to Barcelona, obviously we are seeing a Barcelona side that had started a bit inconsistent off under Ronald Koeman. They haven't lost um, since that game against Cadiz. We're starting to see a re-energized Lionel Messi, even some say even a more happier Lionel Messi after all the drama that he had been going through in terms of trying to leave the club and, and all the drama that had happened at the club. We're seeing also a breakout performances um, from Pedri and and with presidential elections coming soon it's really a crucial time for the club and you know even though there's still a lot that's going on behind the scenes do you think that this Barcelona side have what it takes to continue its recent form or do you still think that this side isn't as convincing as one would imagine especially now coming with uh, a big Champions League tie against PSG in the round of 16? Um, I think you brought up an interesting point. I think the UCL will be the the match for people to actually make a decision on something like this. You know, the Barca team, like you said, they have their standouts with Pedri, uh, Serginho Dest, all that stuff. But they're also a pretty young team. Um, And like you said, it took a while for Messi to kind of get back into his groove again. And the recent run's been great. Um, They've been really strong on the pitch and putting on good performances where they seem to be clicking. Um, which for Barca fans is going to be really nice to see, especially because of those elections. Um, but I think that game with against PSG is going to be kind of the tide turner, um, depending on how the players play. Can they step up to the plate, so to speak, and you know put on a tough performance against a pretty solid PSG side and make it on to the next round? Or is it going to be a struggle and they're going to have to kind of regroup with themselves? But in terms of the elections, um, I would say it's the best time for this Barca side to come together and finally find them their groove. Because no matter what's happening behind the scenes, um, primarily their role is just to focus on what's happening on the pitch. And before, it was kind of a shaky start. But now that they got their groove together, it's like one less weight on their shoulders. 
Um, and then hopefully for the club there, their presidential election just follows through smoothly. Um, but yeah, I think it's just going to be a waiting game for a little bit to see if this um, good run can continue. Definitely. And you know how, it, how hard it is to please those Barca fans. So they, they definitely want to see that consistency. And, you know, obviously for them, they want to return silverware. And I mean, obviously, this isn't to say that the La Liga race is out or even the Champions League race is out. I think they're still um, in there for the challenge, but it, it will definitely be a matter of how they're going to juggle these competitions and if they can continue that consistency moving forward. Now, switching gears to Real Madrid, I mean, obviously, we saw them bounce out of the Supercopa de España against uh, Athletic Club. You know, they're still, as we said, neck and neck with their crosstown rivals, you know, the only team to beat Atletico Madrid this season. But one could admit that, you know, not only have they dropped points in recent matches, I think some people can even argue that they just haven't looked as convincing as before in, in, the, in terms of how they won La Liga last season. I mean, do you think it's a case to feel worried about, especially heading against a... a I think many people would say, um, and Joe, you could also... Uh, piggyback on that, a, a really interesting tie and maybe even a tricky tie against Atalanta in the round of 16? Or do you feel that maybe this side is just feeling the effects of such a condensed schedule and, and many factors also showing up for, for Zinedine Zidane? Um, I think it's just kind of a lull period for Real Madrid right now. I mean, counter to what I just said about Barca, who have a young team, Real Madrid squad is fairly old. Um, you know, Tony Cruz, 30, 31, I believe, and then Sergio Ramos, Luka Modric, Karim Benzema. Like, those are all pretty key players, and, I mean, they're not getting any younger. They still play quality football, but at the same time, their skills are going to change on the pitch. And the recent games, you know, you can see Real Madrid, they've been a bit confused on the pitch. Um, some of the substitutions haven't worked as fans would have hoped. But, yeah, the same thing. That UCL tie against Atalanta, I mean, it's going to be a big one. There's a chance that they can, again, be knocked out in the round of 16. So it's going to be a big test. But they showed that they can play against big tests, which was the match against Atletico Madrid. Like you said, handing them their first loss of the season in La Liga. But um, yeah, it's just going to kind of be, they have to figure out what exactly is going wrong. And I'm not sure necessarily if they know what the problem is at the moment, um, which is why there's so much confusion happening on the pitch. But the title race in La Liga is going to be a tight one. I still believe, I think it's going to go right to the end. And actually, it's interesting that you mentioned that, that, you know, in case that they do get eliminated from the Champions League and if they're able to not get any silverware, do you think that costs us a Don's job? Oh, I've been thinking about this one lately, and honestly, I'm not too sure. Um, a lot of people have faith in Zidane just because of, obviously, his recent time in charge with the club. But my next thought would be, who would actually be the manager to take over? Where would your options go from here if they were to let Zidane go? Um, it's, it is a transition period for Real Madrid, it's uh, no doubt. Um, but... Uh, I mean, if they don't bring home any silverware, I wouldn't be surprised um, if he left his job at the same time. But um, the question for me is, okay, but who's going to come in next? Who's going to come in and take this team over and kind of rework them into, I mean, the match-winning side that they want to be all the time? I'm not too sure. You know, Pochettino just went over to PSG, and he was um, linked with the club for a long, long time. So... I'm not too sure. Do you guys have any ideas who might 
Well, Joe, I mean, Joe, I mean, I mean, there are some managers, and I think this one is going to be interesting to to see what happens to bo- actually two managers. One, mm-hmm. I think, is a name that always gets links to these type of jobs and and still doesn't have a job at the moment, mm-hmm. and that's Max Allegri. Um, and also another one, and glad that you mentioned the PSG angle is Thomas Tuchel. You know, he's out of a job, and you know, those are two great managers who have done very well, who have, you know, been consistent and have gone to Champions League finals as well. You know, Joe, I mean, and, and mind you, I, I even think that we can even look at some current managers who are also on the hot seat that depending on where they go, it could or how they end the season, that could indeed cost their job. And that opens them up to the likes of a Real Madrid. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously when we're talking about the Real Madrid job, it's one of the pinnacle jobs in all of world football. I mean, it's probably one of the top two or three jobs in the in the world. And, you know, so that that position only comes with a big name you can't have somebody that's just starting out um for example you know somebody that we talked about wayne rooney um wayne rooney doesn't start out at real madrid right although zidane kind of you know fall along those lines but he he came up through the ranks at real madrid to to get that head coaching job the first time max allegri makes sense to me uh, you know given the two names that you just gave me allegri and thomas tuchel i'll start with allegri because i think it, it would be Allegri um, and you know Pochettino like Emily said uh, has already moved on to PSG so I would think that it would be a guy like Max Allegri you want a guy with a with a proven track record and and Max definitely has that Uh, Tuchel would be a great side you would really see an attacking football but in my gut I really feel like uh, Tuchel is slated to go to Chelsea I, I really think that that will happen at the end of the season if not sooner depending on how Chelsea performs both in league and in the Champions League, you know, it's going to really hinge on Frank Lampard's job at the end because they've spent a lot of money. They spent more money than anybody this transfer window to bring in Timo Werner and Kai Havertz and and, and many others. So I see the Tuchel job, or or I see Tuchel going to Chelsea um, because his style fits the pieces that they have currently. Um, So for me, I think Max Allegri is the number one name. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of faith in Zidane. I don't see him necessarily getting sacked, depending on how this how the season goes. I mean, Atalanta, they're it's amazing what they're done, what they've done. Such a small budget, all the turmoil with Papu Gomez and Matteo Pessina steps in the twenty four year old midfielder, and just kind of picks up without missing a beat, and has Atalanta challenging in the round of sixteen in the Champions League, has them challenging um, in the Serie A as well, which is going to be a tight race all season. So Atalanta is a very very tricky spot. We said it last year. And really, you know, you think about it, it was only three or four minutes of stoppage time that kept Atalanta from possibly going to the Champions League semifinal or the final. Um, so this is not uh, an easy side for anybody to get by, even the likes of a Real Madrid. Yeah, definitely. I think it'll be- definitely be an interesting tie. And I think one tie that we go into that, you know, I think we would say that the bookies would favor Real Madrid in this one just because of the sheer star power and the and the history that they have. But I think we need or people need to understand that they can't underestimate this on the lot of side because of what they demonstrated in in the past few seasons. So it's it's gonna be very interesting. And yeah, I agree as well. I think with Zidane, I think his I think he still is able to demonstrate something. And Emily, it's good that you mentioned the fact that you have those old pieces that do need to fix, that they do need to replace. I mean, certainly we need to see what happens with the likes of a Sergio Ramos, a Luca Modric, a Tony Cruz, even a Karim Benzema who, you know, are in their in their 30s at the moment, they definitely need the replacements. And certainly there are a lot of replacements that Real Madrid could find uh, in those positions. And then I'm sure money's no issue for them. But uh, I think Zidane understands that he is trying to rebuild this side into 
what was, uh, what is a great Real Madrid side and have been consistent for, for many years, performing at the highest level in Europe and in La Liga. Um, they definitely need that kind of guidance. And I, I think Zidane is the one that, that can help them. But it'll be interesting to see. Now, it's funny that you mentioned that Chelsea link, Joe, because that goes into my last question. Um, and I, we have to talk about Eden Hazard. I, I think many people viewed this season to be a crucial one for Eden Hazard after his big money move from Chelsea, 100 million euros. And, you know, I, I think that it's unfortunate that such a talented player that was killing it in Chelsea at, at in the Premier League for, for many seasons has just been, you know, unfortunately sidelined with injuries, a lack of consistency. And I think, Emily, there are many Real Madrid fans that are starting to feel impatient towards him. I think, you know, it's a situation where his I think his confidence is absolutely shot. Like I've never seen someone, or at least I've, I've seen very few players that try to go and bounce back after all the setbacks that it, that he's gone through. And Hazard is is trying to, to test a lot of people's patience. So, you know, do you feel like this is a situation for Zidane to just like give him a rest at the expense of players like Vinicius and Isco and other attacking players? Or simply put, is he just not doing enough with the opportunities that he has in front of him? Uh, I mean, you know, it's a tricky situation. Like you said, he's had a really, really unlucky spell so far at the club. Um, I mean, he came away from Chelsea, you know, it's just a great season for him. And then it basically went the exact opposite um, as soon as he landed in Madrid. But, you know, he's had a lot of injury problems, which, to be frank, has been a big problem for the Real Madrid squad just as a whole. Um, so some fans, you know, they're kind of questioning, okay, like what's happening in training, um, what's happening with like exercises. We're never going to know. We're never going to find out per se. Um, but that does play a hand in a player's fitness. I think um, it's the right move to give Hazard some minutes on the pitch to let him find his groove. Um, I know in the club's recent match in La Liga against Osasuna, Hazard started, but it was just his ninth appearance for Real Madrid this season and his first start since November 28th. And this match was on January 9th. So he's had really, really big gaps in between the minutes that he's played and the amount of time that he can, you know, kind of decide where can I fit in in this team? How am I going to work within this team? So I think it's good for him to start. Um, but the question of rotations with, you know, players like Vinicius Jr., um, I mean, that's kind of a coin toss for me. I think both of them are very strong and they both bring kind of their own unique quality to the team. Um, but yeah, for Hazard, I think it's just a matter of time. I do think it'll have to start clicking fairly soon, um, at least by the end of the season. There has to be something to show for it um, because, like you said, it was a big, big money move that Real Madrid did in that transfer window just to get him specifically, though. It was a lot of money. So I think fans are getting a little impatient, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean his quality has disappeared just because we haven't seen it in a while. You know, Emily, I, I'd like to jump in here because, I, you know, listening to your response to Roberto's question, um, it reminds me of another move, another big money move of a player coming to La Liga from another league and just having a rough go of it to start with injuries and, and other issues. And that's Usman Dembele. Um, it, it almost feels like it mirrors it a little bit where Dembele was often injured. And when he wasn't injured, he was in the doghouse because of of his attitude and that sort of thing. But um He'd started to turn it around, I felt like, this, this season until he, of course, got injured again. Would you feel that, that uh, Eden Hazard's, um, you know, his time so far at Real Madrid almost mirrors a little bit of, of what Dembele did so far at uh, Barcelona? 
Yeah, of course. Like, I can see the similarities there. Um, I guess the one big difference for me there would be just the age. Um, and Dembele is only 20, young 20s, 23 maybe, yeah. um, whereas Hazard's approaching his 30s. So a little bit more experience um, for Hazard. So I think, you know, there might be a little bit more pressure for him to adjust quickly mm-hmm. um, than Dembele did. But on, you know, on the larger scale of things, it's definitely kind of the same situation. Um there are the matches where both of them can play after not having played for a long time, and then it's spectacular performances. Um, but then there's the opposite side of it where they're just not putting out, you know, the right performance that fans want to see, maybe that even the managers want to see. And it becomes a frustrating situation just to teeter back and forth all the time. But, um, yeah, like I said, I do think Hazard has the quality. I don't think Real Madrid would have made that big of a move for a player if they really didn't believe in him. Um, but it's just a matter of time. However, the clock's winding down for him. So I'm not too sure how much time is left for him to kind of show what he has. But I guess it's just a waiting game right now. And before we let you go, I, I do have two more uh, transfer window questions with Real Madrid. The first one is uh, um, Luka Jovic, who just was loaned back to Eintracht Frankfurt for a six-month loan. Um, Roberto mentioned the, you know, how do we replace Karim Benzema? And many thought that Luka Jovic was going to be that particular striker that would replace Benzema, but it just hasn't panned out. Um, with this move, this loan move currently, are Real Madrid looking to shop Luka Jovic and, and maybe take him off the books and go in another direction? Or do they feel that this is the kind of move that will allow him his playing time and let him find his feet again to come back to Real Madrid and challenge Benzema for that title again? Um, well, first of all, I think this loan move is going to be very, very important for Jovic. Um, you know, even in just the press conferences that he had, he explained that he's ready to get back on the pitch and show what he can do. And like you brought up, I think that's going to be what Real Madrid are going to look for. Okay, can he um, step onto the pitch and be aware of the plays and what's going on and make himself available to his teammates and actually show that he's getting into the match? Because his few appearances with Real Madrid... Um, they were kind of subpar, in my opinion. So at the same time, this loan's going to be really, really good for him. I was a big fan of him before he came to Real Madrid when he was with Frankfurt the first time. And I watched a few of their games, and I remember thinking, this is the right replacement for Karim Benzema eventually when that time comes. Unfortunately, it didn't pan out as soon as people hoped. But again, he's also super young. So is that just the pressure of you know coming to arguably one of the biggest clubs in the world and people telling you or even thinking about it, you know, talking about it on social media, that this player might be Karim Benzema's replacement? I don't know. Did the pressure build up? I'm not sure. We'll never know exactly what happened on the inside, but hopefully this loan move is going to let him bounce back, get back to his goal-scoring abilities, because like I said, when I watched him at Frankfurt the first time around, they were just lethal skills that this guy had in front of the net, and it's something that Real Madrid can really benefit from. So... Hopefully he has a good spell and then the club can kind of reassess his abilities and make it work. Definitely. I I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I I do want one more question before we let you go. And this is a rumor that I just kind of popped up over the last few days. And it's regarding Eder Militao, the 22-year-old defender who was brought over to Real Madrid hasn't quite panned out the way many thought he would. He's now rumored to be going to Bayern Munich to replace David Alaba, who is rumored to be coming back to Real Madrid once his contract expires in the summer. What are your thoughts on on the possible quote-unquote swap between Militao and uh, David Alaba, and what do you think it would do for both both teams, both Bayern and Real Madrid? 
Um, I think the swap would be a decent deal. You know, Alaba has a lot of experience that um, would be really key for Real Madrid. And, you know, I'm a big fan of Eder Militao personally, and I think he just needs another opportunity. It's extremely hard to crack into a Real Madrid lineup to begin with, but then, you know, he's also a center back. And who plays center back for Real Madrid? It's captain Sergio Ramos. So it's going to be even harder to take over his position, you know, and kind of figure out his groove and figure out how he fits with this team and how he fits with this formation and this playing style. So most of the time, you know, quote unquote, Zidane's going to pick Ramos and Varane. It's been just a partnership that's happened and been playing for Real Madrid forever. And I think the swap deal would be a good one. Um, However, I know there are a few rumors that Militao is leaving without talk of another center back coming in. And I don't think that's a smart move. I don't think... So let me back up here. Let's say um, Alaba does not come to Real Madrid and Real Madrid are still looking to loan off Eder Militao. I don't think that's a smart way to go um, just because of the injury plague that's kind of been haunting Real Madrid for the last little bit. In the last match there, you know, Varane came off at halftime, which was kind of surprising to see a lot of fans when I was scrolling through Twitter. Nobody was really aware of kind of what that substitution was for. And Nacho came in. And that's completely fine. But then it came out that Sergio Ramos was actually playing with an injury and he played the entire 90 minutes. So if you loan off Eder Militao and have no replacement, like no Alaba coming back in, then you have the possibility of just one replacement for a center back. And then that creates more long-term injury problems because we would be back in a situation that just happened a couple days ago one player came off the replacement cb came on but then if the second one gets injured or even if the substitute gets injured you have nothing left to help so i think the most important thing is if the club do um loan off at Militao, you know that'll be great for him he'll get some experience because like i said it's really hard to crack into the lineup but it's hard to take over, I mean, Sergio Ramos's role of all people in this squad. But him going off to another club would be beneficial for his career, just for his player trajectory. But they need to have someone come in as his replacement. The Alaba deal, I think that would be a good fit. So this swap, if it happens, I think it's a smart one. Yeah, in Varane and, and Sergio Ramos, two key players in World Cup winning sides. So you're definitely going to be hard to crack that lineup no matter what. And especially, like you said, the captain, Sergio Ramos, even with his age and even rumors of him leaving, still would be tough because you know what he delivers both on offense and defense for Real Madrid. So uh, definitely a tough spot for Militao, and, and hopefully he'll get his chance again, whether it be for uh, Los Merengues or for another team. Um, he's still young, and I think he will get a chance before we before his time is up. Emily, before we let you go, where can everyone find your work? Um, so I do a couple things for, uh, managing Madrid, which is an SB nation blog, just focusing on Real Madrid. Um, I also write some content with one football, which covers all the leagues across Europe, the top five, as well as lots of others, um, women's football as well. We cover there and, you know, just on Twitter, my Twitter handle is at Wilson underscore EMT, always talking about football. Um, and it's just a great place to chat. Anyone wants to chat about it, um, argue with me about it, go for it. Excellent stuff. Emily, thanks again for coming on the show. We always appreciate you coming on with us and look forward to having you back again soon. Of course. And thank you so much for the invite, guys. It was lovely to chat. And special thanks again to Emily Wilson for joining us on the show. 
Mr. Rojas, uh, let's jump into Copa Libertadores because we saw the semifinal matches round off this week. We have our finalists. Uh, there was potential of a Super Classico, uh, but that went by the wayside. River Plate makes a makes a brave challenge uh, to Palmeiras in a 2-0 loss. I'm sorry, 2-0 win, um, but just falls short of the 3-2 aggregate final score that we see. So Palmeiras moves over on one side. And on the other side, Santos, really this, this tie with Boca Juniors um, started out very sluggish. A 0-0 draw to start, uh, and, and the first 15 minutes of the second match, or the second leg, um, was also scoreless, but then Santos finally break through. Uh, they come up with a 3-0 victory over Boca Juniors, so we have an all-Brazilian final. Palmeiras and Santos, I believe, if I remember correctly, given our trivia question from last week, uh, currently between these two teams, we have four titles. They both won it before Palmeiras back in 1999, and most recently for Santos in 2011, beating Peñarol. Uh, this shapes up to be a great Libertadores final. Um, it's not the Super Classico that I think everybody was hoping for. Um, even there was a little bit of a chicanery going on in this one, if I remember correctly, uh, in the Boca Juniors tie, the second tie, that there was a flare on the field and they they had to they had to pause the start of the match. Um, and this is a this is basically a field or or, or a pitch that uh, there were no fans allowed. So how a flare makes it onto the pitch without any fans in the building is still mind-boggling, but welcome to South America. What are your thoughts on um, the two matches? River just falling short, uh, really taking it to Pop Medicine that second leg. I mean, you thought for sure it was going to get tied up. And then Santos uh, finally finding that gear and getting past Boca Juniors. What were your thoughts on uh, both ties? Well, I'll go to the Santos-Boca game first because, yeah, that that was kind of awesome to see uh a literal flare being parachuted onto the onto the Santos pitch. I mean, that, I mean, obviously, I don't know how they do it, but you're right. This is South America. The, the, there are no rules. Everything is it's the wild, wild west, as I always like to say. Um, yeah. But no, I, I think I think going for Santos Boca first. I, I think this is a side that I think was effective during the entire competition. I think they are a side that were better tested. You would say in the entire. Um, competition i mean they they had to play liga de quito at altitude in the round of 16 they then had to play gremio a gremio side that are no uh stretch of the imagination they an easy side to beat but then to do it and get a 4-1 win is is incredible and then you got boca and then the uh, boca side that you know i think did not show anything you know, like they didn't really come out and mm. You know, I think many people will use the controversy of VAR, and we'll get to that in a bit in the River Plate Palmeiras game. But I think Santos are a deserved finalist. I, I, I think, yeah, many people were looking at a River Plate uh, Boca finals, but these are the best two sides in the in the um, in the final, Joe. I mean, you know, Santos I think had one of the best goal scoring uh, records out there. They you know, they haven't lost, or they lost one game in the entire competition. I mean, they are certainly a side that will definitely be have a good test against Palmeiras and going into that game. Yeah, it, it was a brave fight from River Plate. I think Gajardo's team is 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 demonstrated of what Gajardo has been able to do. I think he's always been a manager that, that you know, aside from obviously being successful in winning titles during his time there, I think he's dem- he's provided a different mentality to the side of like not giving up even when the odds are going against them. I mean, they they went into this match 3-0 um down and they lost that game at home and now they're going to Sao Paulo and needing to to get three goals and you know they almost did it they almost did it they they, they got the two goals in the first half they were unfortunately denied some due to offside calls and and fouls and you know denying penalties I mean 
they were just so close, and, and you, you didn't see this Palmeiras side demonstrating anything outside of a defensive performance. It, it was just very weird to see as, as well from a Palmeiras perspective because they, they've just been so dominant during the entire course, you know, to lose their first game uh, in the competition as well. I mean, it's it's shaping up to be a good final, though. I, I think a really good final against two sides, as you said, Joe. You know, they have won the title before. Palmeiras haven't won it in 22 years. Santos haven't won it in 10 years. Um, they're playing at the Maracana. I mean, it, it's shaping up to be a really tight game. These guys are rivals because they're from the same city. It's in Sao Paulo. I, I think we're in for a really good final. I think this one's going to be... Yeah, I, I Personally, I, I don't have a prediction as of yet. I think anything can happen in the next few days. But for my money, this is a coin flip. This mm-hmm. is honestly a coin flip. Because I think these are two sides that can effectively perform very well and have demonstrated their their performances in, in the competition with good teams, uh, good players, good coaching with with Kuka on one end for, for Santos and um, Abel Ferreira on Palmeiras for, on the other side. This can go either way, Joe. Honestly, I, I cannot wait for this final at the end of the month. You know, looking back at this, I was surprised that Palmeiras, um, you know, really had to hold on for dear life on this one, you know, to River Plate. Uh, Palmeiras only gave up two goals in the knockout uh, rounds leading up to this competition and had given up nothing to River Plate in the first match. So to see them go down 2-0 and really by the skin of their teeth, because I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I can't remember if it was two or three goals that were disallowed because of VAR, um, and all very close decisions. Two. It was, it was, it two. was two. Yeah, it, it was It was just something amazing. And even the, the added time that they got on top of it, because I think there was like almost 10 minutes of stoppage time. In fact, I was predicting yep. that there was going to be a, a River Plate tying goal at the 10-minute mark, and even though there was only seven minutes of stoppage time added on. Uh, you know that that was that was very South American of this match. The way things were going, the way VAR was intervening, it just it was just this crazy crazy finish um, to the match. And and I've got to ask you this before we we tie up the Boca because um, I have a question about that um, for River Plate with Marcelo Gallardo um, being knocked out of this competition. But we know what he's done at River Plate over the past four or five years. He's been nothing short of incredible. Is this finally the 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 result that sends him to Europe. I know that we've been talking about it for a while now that, you know, he's going to move on. He's going to a bigger club. He's going to go coach in Europe. He's going to eventually get there. Is this the the spot? And, and, and you know what, now that I'm thinking back on our conversation with Emily, um, it would be a massive job and it would be a massive swing, but Real Madrid, I mean, Gallardo does have a pedigree of winning uh, at, at, at River Plate. It, it's, it's well known. Uh, is that something that you might see him, Possibly finally saying, yes, it's time to go and move on to the to the European side. I think he has the potential to coach a team like Real Madrid um, in the future, but not now. I, I think at this moment, just because of all that is done. I mean, knowing Real Madrid and knowing how you know demanding they are. Yes, it's a huge challenge, and I'm sure Gajardo is, is willing to take it. But it just takes one bad season to have your reputation just get so lowered. So... Mm-hmm. I think for my best bet that he doesn't go to a big team, I think he will go to a top five league. I think mm-hmm. he definitely will have the potential of going to a top five league. I think it will be more of a side that I think is mid-table or fighting for a, a European spot, that kind of thing. I think that's where he would be best suited out to start. Um, in terms of when, well, he still has a contract until the end of the year, Joe. And mind mm-hmm. you, well, River are still into next year's Lira Artists. So they, they still 
are technically in that competition. And and mind you, I I don't think he wants to leave so soon um, before the start of a tournament. And, you know, it could happen. I mean, I'm not saying that it will happen, but it could happen. But given that that competition will end November and it's right when his contract is going to expire, I think it would only make sense for him to see it out for this competition, see if he wins something domestically in Argentina, and then make that jump to Europe. I think that's the only thing that I think is is realistic for him to do um, in the case of just having one more shot at trying to win a Copa Libertadores with this team. And if he isn't able to do it, then he'll, he'll go into the sunset and, and go to another team in, in, and, and obviously leave River Plate as probably the greatest manager to have uh, managed the club. Yeah. Now, look, going back to the Boca uh, matchup versus Santos, um, one name that comes to mind since we're on the topic of 30-something-year-old strikers today, um, Carlos Tevez, 36 years old. Uh, he really became a little bit more of a focus for, for Boca Juniors in this particular tie against Santos. He saw a little bit more playing time than we've seen him get in the past. Um, but at 36 years old, you know, knocked out of the competition again. Is is this finally where Carlos Tevez says, you know what, I'm done and, and hangs it up? Or or do you feel like uh, Carlito's going to stick around another season and, and, you know, challenge again? Well, again, he has a contract until June. I mean, I think obviously one would understand that it's going to be up to him, that basically it's up to his choice to see if he wants to go for another year or not. They're mm-hmm. also in the Libertadores again. You know, they're, they're going to play today actually a final for the league title against Banfield. Um, so obviously another opportunity to, to win silverware. But yeah, I, I think now just because of the age that he's getting at and just because I think he's still a quality player. I think he still has something to prove for Boca. This isn't, this isn't a player that is just going in and just being sporadic and, and getting minutes. No, he's, he's scoring goals. So it's not like he's, he's, um he's just chilling. Mm-hmm. But I think, I, I personally think that if he's going to do it, I think he's going to do in the same situation as Gallardo. I think he, if he wants to play this, you think he's going to have one more shot at, at Libertadores glory. And if he's able to do it, great. If he isn't, then that's, I think that's the end of the road for him as well. I think, I think for both these guys, it, a, a mere crossroads will be for Gallardo making that big jump to Europe. I think for Carlitos to, to hang up his boots after, again, another great career that he's had. I think, you know, one of the one of the best careers. And eventually when we do talk about his retirement, I think he's going to be up there as well as one of the more talented players of his generation. Yeah, you know, and it's funny just looking at his statistics and comparing him to who we talked about earlier in Wayne Rooney. Uh, another one that, that really broke onto the scene roughly around the same time, 16 years old. Um, Wayne Rooney does it at Everton. Carlito does it at Boca Juniors. Um, they've both won the Premier League, Premier League Golden Boot. Um, the difference is Carlito has a gold medal at the uh, at the Olympics um, and, and Wayne Rooney doesn't. But two careers that have really mirrored each other. Right. If you think about it, um, Carlos Tevez goes back to his former club in Boca Juniors after traveling Europe. Wayne Rooney goes back to his former club, Everton, before uh, you know, before kind of hanging it up, you know, going to Derby County. Um, just two amazing number nine striker careers that we've seen players that got started so young and have been so prolific um, over their careers. And uh, you hate to see Carlos Tevez hang it up. Um, you never know. Uh, obviously, like you said, he's he's still got his contract up to the end of the year, and it'll be up to him and up to Boca if they want to renew. But uh, but certainly another a great career that we've seen. So uh, the, the Copa Libertadores final is on January 30th. We will certainly be talking more about that in the lead up to the final match. Uh, but again, your all-Brazilian final with Palmeiras and Santos coming up in a couple of weeks. So 
Roberto, let me give you the matches of the week to look forward to this week. We actually have midweek matches uh, coming up in quite a few leagues, so there's plenty to talk about here. First off, let's go right to Tuesday, and we'll go right back to the Premier League with Leicester City playing Chelsea at 3.15 p.m. Then on Wednesday, we go to La Liga with Villarreal and Granada at 3.30. Also, RB Leipzig Union Berlin at 2.30 p.m., so that's going to be a nice little matchup to, uh, to see in the Bundesliga. Union Berlin, I believe, moved up to fourth place. Uh, currently in the Bundesliga. So that's been a, a great surprise there. And then on Saturday, we have Milan Atalanta at noon, followed by Monaco Marseille in Ligon at 3 p.m. So those are matches to look out for this coming week. I gave you a trivia question earlier. Mario Mandzukic, uh, speaking of uh, 30-something-year-old strikers, is uh, finalizing his contract and his move from Al Duhal in Qatar to AC Milan. And... He spent the 2019-2020 season in Al-Duhal. The question to you was, how many matches did he play for Al-Duhal and how many goals did he score? Man, it almost feels as if it's a trick question, but mm-hmm. I, I doubt it is. So I honestly have not seen much of him on my timeline. And you know, I follow a lot of people, so there's always going to be someone that's going to be talking about him. But for some odd reason, I don't think he's been as effective. I'm going to go completely uh, shooting from the hip on this one. I'm going to say he's played – he hasn't been there too long either. So I'm going to say 12 games and four goals. Okay. Do you want to – I'll give you – you're actually too high on both numbers. I'm too high on – okay. I'll give you, I'll give you right. one more crack at it. Sure. All right. I'm going to go – Five games mm-hmm. and two goals. You've got the games right. Five appearances okay. for Al Duhal. Do you want me to give you the goals? Yeah, why not? In round numbers, zero goals. He's made five appearances. I, I, knew, I knew it was a trick question. Yep. I, I, I didn't want it to be true, but I was like, no, it can't be. So we'll see. It can't be. We'll but. see what he can deliver for AC Milan um, You know, coming up. Obviously, uh, you know, again, uh, the theme is 30-something-year-old strikers today because AC Milan has had great success with another 30-something-year-old striker in Zlatan Ibrahimovic. So Mandzukic brings that grit and that determination. We we all know, we, we remember what he's brought to the to, to various teams. So it's going to be interesting to see if he still has that fire in him um, that earned him his reputation at Juve um, and, you know, possibly something that he's living on going to AC Milan. So we'll have to see. So... Without uh, anything else on the docket, my friend, let's hit the closing music. Let's do it. All right, here we go. So, for episode 312 of Low Limit Football, special thanks again to Emily Wilson for joining us. Next week, we'll go back and look at the leagues. We'll see if Atleti can maintain their dominance in La Liga, as well as give you the Derby d'Italia results as Italy, I'm sorry, as Juve face Inter Milan later on today. So, for episode 312 of Low Limit Football, I am Joe Ucello. I'm Robert Rojas. Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night. <laughs>